0: as I've already said, um, good morning to all of you. Um, if you're a guest with us, I always like to point out um, that in your service folder, there should be a gold insert, and you're very much welcome to use that uh, um, as we study God's word today and uh, take it home with you, as there's a Bible study on the back side of that. Um, besides Easter, this time of year tends to be a time, especially in, in a cold state like Minnesota where a lot of people tend to uh, go on a, uh, a warm type of spring break vacation. And one of the, the types of warm vacations that people tend to go on or choose, at times, would be a cruise. Um, just to kind of get a feel for things, raise your hand if you've ever gone on a cruise before. Anyone? Anyone? Alright, so good, thank you. So most of you have, I I actually never have been on a cruise, but I I hear that in general they're they're really nice. Most people that I've talked to enjoy them. They're kind of like a city filled with, you know, sort of relaxation and fun and enjoyment. And some of the things that I've seen or read is that oftentimes when you first get onto a cruise, they will right away direct you to one of the decks, where as you wait for everyone to get on and for the ship to set sail that they sort of um, give you a wide variety of all-you-can-eat foods, all right? And so you got to understand something about me. Um, you had me at all-you-can-eat, okay? And you know, whatever comes after all-you-can-eat, it doesn't really matter. I mean, that in and of itself is, is an awesome thing. But on a cruise, it does get better. And depending on what cruise ship you go on, um, there's everything from dance clubs to entertainment to swimming pools and and, uh, water slides and zip lines and rock climbing, or you can watch a movie or just sit by the pool all day. And that's exactly what the passengers of the Carnival Cruise Triumph were looking forward to back in February. As they got onto the cruise ship about a month and a half ago, setting setting sail for Mexico from Galveston, Texas, they had all these images of what could be and the enjoyment that would be had in their life on this cruise ship, three days into their cruise, and by the laughter I realize that most of you know where I'm going with this. There was a fire in the engine room, all the power went out except for the backup generators. Now, as a novice who does, knows nothing about cruise ships, I would be smart enough to know that that wouldn't be a good thing, okay? No power in the cruise ship. What I wouldn't have known is just how difficult and horrible it would be. You'd think they'd be able to get the people off or, you know, somehow get that going again, but for five days there was limited power and the stories that you hear about what happened on this wonderful cruise ship were horrible. I mean, no, um, no showers and no air conditioning. Which, you know, what I'm thinking is like when I was in high school during the football season and going into the, into the locker room. I mean, kind of that, like everywhere, right? Um, or also, there was very limited ability to cook food. So food was scarce, standing in line for uh, four hours. And, and probably the worst part of it, which we're not going to even talk about or think about on such a glorious day, is that the toilets didn't work for five days. All right, that's enough. <laughs> not talk about it. I wouldn't have ever realized how essential to a life of luxury and happiness and joy power would be on a cruise. Today we've gathered on this day called Easter. And Easter is absolutely 100% more important than power. More essential than anything else. You know... A lot of times I think in our country, and because we live in our country, it happens to people who call themselves Christians, that Easter tends to be the ugly stepchild to what? To Christmas, right? I mean, how many radio stations play for two months or a month, you know, Easter music 24 hours a day leading up to Easter? Did six months ago Target have their Easter display out, or nine months, or all year round? And yet, the reality is, is that Easter is absolutely essential to hope, to joy, to any semblance of peace that you might want to have in your life. Easter is essential. Now, if you're a guest with us today and I feel compelled to address our guests because there's a lot of them. There's probably a lot of reasons, many different reasons why guests are here today. Um, One of them being maybe that... uh, um, Uh, you were invited by a friend, another reason might be that uh, someone in your family or friend uh, promised a free brunch afterwards and you decided to, you know, let's go to church and go to brunch afterwards. Um, Some of you maybe know that every year mom calls on Easter afternoons, so this year you want to see if you went to church and this year you want to be able to say, you know, I was at church mom and, and so you're here. The reality is it doesn't really matter why you came. What I want you to know is you are here on the most important day for understanding what it means to be a Christian. If there's any day out of the entire year that you could choose, there would be none better than the day today that you chose to come here. I want to tell you what we believe and teach about Easter. Very plain. That Jesus died... And then on the third day, not just his spirit rose, but that physically in the flesh, his body rose from the dead so that the tomb was empty, not because someone stole him, not because Jesus was never dead in the first place, but because Jesus was dead and he rose again. Now, I will admit to you, that doesn't happen very often. I will admit to you, that this was a miracle. I would admit to you that this is absolutely amazing, but I'm also going to tell you that as much as some people, and even maybe we have wrestled with this, as much as some people would like to separate the resurrection from the teachings of Jesus, we just can't do it. Have you ever run into someone and maybe you've wrestled with this? Someone who really likes the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament? I mean, the teachings of Jesus... Savior aside, what he taught was revolutionary. He was one of the first people who ever taught to love women like you love yourself, to not treat them as possessions, but to love them. He was one of the first people to, in history to teach that publicly. He taught about how to have a successful marriage, how to forgive, how to get rid of worry, to love our enemies as ourselves. Jesus' teachings were Amazing. And sometimes people want to ask the question, I like the teachings. I like what the New Testament says, but I'm not so sure about that resurrection of the dead thing. I've never seen anyone do that. Can't I follow Jesus? Can't I be a Christian and follow Jesus and follow what he's taught without having to buy into this miracle that's happened once in world history that someone would rise again to eternal life after having been dead? And the simple answer to that question is no. We can't separate those two things. Easter is essential to everything that we call Christian. Now, all of this leads us to our lesson to, for today. Because um, during the time of Jesus, there was a man named Paul who was a Christian. He wasn't at first, but then God changed his life. He saw Jesus and he became a Christian. And he also happened to be one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. And he traveled all around the then-known world, around the Mediterranean Sea. His name, if I didn't mention already, was Paul. And he started a church in a Greek city called Corinth, and over the years, um, different things would come up in Corinth, and he would write letters to them. It sounds as if there was either three or four letters that he wrote to the Corinthians. We only have two of them uh, recorded for us in the Bible, or that we have collected in the Bible. Um, but in one of those letters, we see that the Corinthians struggled with the very same thing that I just mentioned. They had a difficulty with the resurrection. And they loved Jesus' teaching, and they loved church, and they loved singing songs, and they loved all the stuff called Christian. But someone rising from the dead, I mean, they were too smart, too intellectual, too modernized to believe something like that. And as Paul understands their struggle, he writes to them about this topic, and in fact, it takes up the largest portion of his letter. It's towards the end of the letter where he talks about the essence or how essential Easter is to being a Christian. And today, we don't have time to look at the whole chapter, but we're going to take a look at four very key verses right in the middle. All right, here we go. From 1 Corinthians 15, we begin with verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, or another way to say that, if if there was no Easter... You are still in your sins. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Do you know what uh, futile means? Um, Feudal means worthless, pointless. Makes no difference. Feudal is kind of like what happened on Friday when I decided to go and uh, exercise with my football-playing brother-in-law And uh, he led me to do an exercise with him called the clean and jerk, which you pick it up from here and then lift it over your head. Um, And so he did it a couple times, and what I quickly found after doing it twice is that I could, you know, almost lift as much as him, but not as many times as what was required. And so um, we decided... Um, and he didn't make too much fun of me for this. Um, A little bit, I would say, but not a lot. Um, He took a bunch of the weight off because what I discovered was that it would be pointless, it would be futile, it would be a waste of time for me to try to lift that as many times as I was supposed to. What Paul is writing here is that without Easter, without the resurrection of Jesus, it's like, trying to lift an impossible amount of weight. What he's saying is that your faith would be futile. And here's why. Because you'd still, I would still be in my sin. And my biggest problem, which is sin, would still be my biggest problem. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if there's no, if there's no um, Easter, We're not forgiven. We don't have a relationship with God. Well, someone might respond, especially in our day and age, and I run into people like this all the time that I talk to, and they'll kind of start off the statement this way after knowing what the Bible teaches. Say, but I believe, but I feel, but I believe that God is love, and I believe that all roads, I just feel like all roads just need to lead to God and to heaven and to salvation. Here's what I believe. I believe that if people are good, I mean, no one can be perfect, but if we're good, then God is going to look upon all of us in, in a nice, kind way because God is love. Have you ever heard something like that? I mean, and woe to us, right, if ever making a statement that that might not be true, You know what I feel is like? Or, or, let me say it a different way. Where else in life does I feel determine reality? I believe. Like, you got pulled over by a police officer for speeding, and he comes to your, your window, and you're like, you know, officer, I believe that the speed limit here is way too low for what it should be posted at. And that's why I was speeding. And and he would say, you know, you can believe whatever you want. Here's your ticket, okay? Or if you're a kid and and you're in math class, maybe kindergarten math class, and you say, teacher, I really think two plus two should be four. And she, in her kindergarten nice way, would say, you know what? It doesn't matter what you feel. The reality is, is that two plus, I'm sorry, two plus two is five. (laughs) She would say, that's true, it is two plus two (laughs) equals four. Because that's reality. What we believe, what we feel, does not determine reality. Reality is bigger Than what we feel. And we can believe whatever we want about God. But the reality is, yes, he's love. But as we looked at in our last series, he is also just. And there needs to be payment for sin. God is love. But his love and forgiveness comes to us through a payment made by Jesus and his Victory over the grave. 1 Corinthians 15 again. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Those who have died would be lost forever if there was no Easter. Verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If being a Christian only brings joy and peace to this life and to this world, then we really should be pitied. If following Jesus only makes a difference for the here and now, what Paul is writing is that people should feel sorry for you. They should pity us more than all people. You know why? First of all, we'd still be in our sin. Secondly, why more than others? Well, how much of your life has been changed or influenced by your faith in Jesus and what he's directed you to? I would pray that grows as we grow stronger in our faith, but think about how much time we give to things that are of God. You're here this morning, you could be still sleeping. You, go, you spend hours and hours going to church throughout your life. You spend hours um, loving others because God directed you to. it. You spend hours of your life serving at church or going to Bible class. You've spent offerings, some of the money that you have to, to uh, encourage and to spread the message of Jesus. And on and on and on. And what Paul is saying is, if there's no Easter... If it's just a directive for how to live, you've been tricked and you and I should be pitied more than anyone else because we wasted our time. You could have had more fun in college from a worldly perspective instead of following Christ's direction, right? But by God's grace, we follow his direction and respond to his love with lives lived for him. And now as Paul is thinking about all these difficulties and all these realities of following Jesus without Easter, we come to the next verse, which is the crux of the matter. And it starts off this way. But. Now, in the Greek... There are two words usually used for this conjunction, contrast, but. There's one called day. And and day is like a little bit of a contrast, a small but, all right? Um, The other one is Allah. And and that designates a large contrast between what just happened. In in this verse, Paul doesn't use either one. He takes two words and puts them together. The two words are nuni day. Which in English means lots of exclamation points, and are you kidding me? All this I just said would have been reality, but are you kidding me? Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits, that is, the the first one of those who have fallen asleep and risen again to eternity. Paul is saying, your faith is not futile. Your time to the Lord is not futile. Your hope is secure. Because although things would be horrible if Jesus had not risen from the dead, noony day. He has risen from the dead. Now, how can he be so sure? And was his experience a little different than ours? Well, it's interesting. If you go back to the first part of this chapter that Paul writes, I want to read a couple verses from you, for you from the very first part of this section. Paul writes, For what I received, that is the message of the gospel, I passed on to you as of first or greatest importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. It wasn't a hoax. It wasn't that he was, you know, not all the way dead, that he died. And the proof of that is that he was, verse 4, buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then verse 5, he appeared. Jesus appeared to people. He appeared to Peter and to the twelve, the the rest of the disciples. And and then there's this next verse, verse 6. And if you've been someone who has been struggling with the resurrection, if you've been someone like we described earlier, who really enjoys and likes Jesus' teachings, but you're just not sure about Easter and how that could have happened, maybe, maybe this verse, God included, just for you. Because there's this amazing thing that Paul writes that I want to quickly talk about. Verse 6. After that, He also appeared to more than 500 of the brothers. Did you know that? It wasn't just the 12 disciples huddled in a room. During those 40 days, he appeared to over 500 people at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. What Paul is writing, in that day and age, about 20 years after Easter happened, he's saying, guys... I'm not making this up. You've heard of Peter? He saw Jesus. You've heard of John? He was the first one to the tomb that looked into the tomb. You've you've heard of James, the brother of Jesus? Well, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior before the resurrection. And, you know, to be fair, how many of you would believe that your brother is the Savior of the world? I mean, James had it a little bit difficult to believe that. But after the resurrection, he believed. Then he says, there are 500 others, most of whom are still living. What Paul is saying with this, you got to think about it. 20 years after the resurrection, he's saying, and if you still have trouble with the miraculous, if you still have issues with Easter, buy a boat ticket and f- float or sail across the Mediterranean Sea, go to the city of Jerusalem, and you will find three to 400 people who have seen them with his, their own eyes alive, and they can tell you exactly what they saw. That Jesus is alive. And our hope does not rest in a theory. It does not rest in some sort of system of living. You and me as Christians, as Christians, it rests in a historical event that was not made up by people who wanted to continue to spread the message of a Jesus, but by people who saw him on Easter and the days after, risen from the dead. And so what's left? Here's our hope. Jesus' resurrection is proof that his payment for sin was accepted by God the Father. Easter means that all your prayers, all the hope that you have for eternity, all your time, all your mission dollars, all of your offerings, all of your commitment, all of your Christian life, all those decisions that you made to follow Jesus throughout your life, none of those things are in vain. It means that when a loved one dies, you're going to cry because you love them. But that your mourning will not be like the rest of the world that has no hope. Because you know that Jesus lives. It means that someday, when you and I come to our last days, that although it may be difficult and painful in certain ways, that we will not be overcome by our grief. We will be filled with peace and joy because Jesus lives. And some of you here today you might be struggling with your faith and not sure what to believe. You have all these questions about God and you're not sure about church because someone at church in the past hurt you or something at church disappointed you. I just want to say that those are not your issues. That there's just one thing that is the real issue. It's not someone who hurt you in the past. It's Easter the thing that we wrestle with and today believe, that Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't, we should be pitied. But, noony day, he has indeed risen from the dead. And we have hope for this life and the next. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for Christian men like Paul who wrote about the things that they saw and they heard. We thank you for guiding those writings and giving them to us so that not only could the Corinthians benefit from them thousands of years ago, but that we can too today. Lord, through your word, I pray that you have strengthened our faith and trust in you and in Easter, and that also you've strengthened our peace for eternity that we know today without a shadow of a doubt that because Jesus lives, we will too. In his name we pray, amen.